This morning we conclude our series in the book of James. We will read verse 16 and then conclude with verses 19 and 20. This morning James says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Robert Robertson grew up without a dad. His dad died when he was very, very young. And though before that he had grown up in the church, after that uh, he found himself having to find a job at a young age to take care of his family. And without really a a father to guide him, uh, having worked at a very young age, Robert Robertson found himself with the wrong kind of crowd. And later in life, when he was 17, he was out with his drinking buddies. And they came upon one of those cheap fortune tellers. You know, the kind that claims to know your future. And in a drunken stupor, they heckled her. They poured beer on her head. They called her names, and they forced her to tell their fortunes for free. And this fortune teller looked at Robert Robertson, and she pointed at him. And she said, you are going to live a very long life. And you're going to see your children and your grandchildren. And there was something about this in this moment for Robert Robertson. As he thought about his legacy and what he would one day leave his children and grandchildren that cut him right to the core. It haunted him. And so one day he decided to attend a Christian meeting. And a preacher there by the name of George Whitfield preached a sermon on Matthew chapter 3. On this verse, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And this verse haunted Robert Robertson for three years, until finally he came to the end of himself. He repented, and he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. And just a few years later, he would write the words of a hymn, Come Thou Fount. He wrote these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. You see, I think Robert knew very well, very personally, that we are all wanderers, every one of us, from King David to the Apostle Peter, St. Augustine to Martin Luther, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a slave trader before Christ to Robert Robertson, the people of Israel who wandered through the desert and wandered in their sin to us, the church of Jesus Christ. It began with Adam and Eve, and it's in you, it's in me. We are wanderers. And though we claim to know Jesus Christ, though we claim to believe in the death and resurrection, though we claim the blood of Christ, Every single day we wander from him and the way that we live. This morning we end our sermon series through the book of James, not so much with a conclusion, but with an invitation. 
an invitation that every single wanderer would come back to Jesus Christ. That every single one of us wanderers would return to the grace and the sovereign mercy of the gospel. Now, if you've been with us, you know that James has been brutally honest about the way that we wander in our sin. He's talked about doubt and greed and desire and anger, harsh words, partiality, jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, arrogance, worldliness, gossip, self-indulgence. It's no wonder that Martin Luther did not like this letter very much. And for us, if we're honest, throughout this series, there's been times where it's been almost difficult to really hear what James is having to say to us. But this morning, what I want you to understand as we come to a close, the goal of James is not to break us down. The goal of James is to build us up. The goal of James is that we would not be simply hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word as well. That we would not just believe the gospel with our heads, but we would believe the gospel with our hearts and with our hands and with our feet. James this morning is calling us to true belief and true repentance. That we would leave the wandering of our sin and that we would return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to call us to this in four ways this morning. The first is this, that the gospel invites us to confess our sins. The gospel invites us to confess our sins. Second, the gospel leads us to repentance. Third, the gospel promises restoration. And lastly, we will see this morning that the gospel calls all of us to community. James is calling every single one of us who has wandered from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn from our sin. And turn towards the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His gospel. And by the power of the gospel. That you would be restored. The first way that James is calling us this morning. Is to confess our sins. The gospel invites us to confession. Look with me at verse 16. James says this. He says therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, if you're with us last week, you know that we talked about how prayer is the spiritual moment when we are exposed in our powerlessness and we are able to have, to possess the very power of God in prayer. And this verse, verse 16, is a transition point from James's discussion on prayer to his final discourse. And so right in the middle of a exhortation for the church to pray, to pray especially for those who are sick. James puts these words. He calls us to confess our sins to one another. Now that should make sense to us because confession is an intimate kind of prayer. And just as all of us are sick physically, the reality is all of us are sick spiritually as well. Just as we need physical healing, we need spiritual healing. And so here James is transitioning to the end, calling us to confess. But this morning, what I want you to notice is he's not just saying, hey, confess your sins to God. That much is implied. But specifically, he's saying, confess your sins to one another. 
John Stott, a little book that's now out of print called Confess Your Sins, identifies three different types of confession. The first is that we would confess our sins to God, right? That God ultimately is the one that we disobey. God is the one ultimately that we have denied. He's the one that we've rebelled against. And so anytime that we confess our sins, we must first and foremost confess our sins to God. And this is what's in our confession of sin this morning in Psalm 51. You can turn there if you want or you can just listen. But this is what David says. Verse 3 says, I know my transgressions. And a great moment of authenticity, of honesty, of vulnerability saying, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Ultimately, every one of our sins, every sin that we commit, every wrong that we do, is a giant stand in rebellion against God. Disobeying against what he has commanded and making ourselves king rather than him. That's called treason. So first and foremost, we're called to confess our sins to God. But second, we're called to confess our sins to those we've sinned against. That we recognize that our sin not only affects us, but it also deeply affects other people. People we love dearly. Jesus speaks of this on the Sermon on the Mount. He says in Matthew 5, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're coming to worship, and you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar and go. First, he says, be reconciled to your brother. See, inherent in the gospel is that not only do we have peace with God, but we also are called to peace with one another. That if we are to be reconciled to God, we also must recognize we are called to be reconciled to one another. So we must also confess our sins, specifically the ones that we have sinned against another person. We must go to that person to confess our sin and to ask for their forgiveness. But lastly, we're also called to confess our sins to the congregation. Before the congregation, and here, I believe this is what James is talking about. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray, pray for one another that you may be healed. It's hard enough for us to confess our sins before God and be honest about it. But James is actually saying, also confess your sins to one another. Why would he command a church like ours to be that honest, that broken, that humble, that vulnerable before one another, that we would actually tell one another our sins. Because in our common confession, we realize that we are all wanderers, that we are all in this together, that all of us are sinners, but also in our common and corporate confession, we recognize that all of us have assurance and pardon in the gospel. And all of us are saints. Every single week, one of our pastors comes down just like Pete did this morning and walks all the way down here. And if you notice in our liturgy, our pastors lead every part of our service from the stage. Every part except for confession. If you've ever noticed this, it's very intentional. Every one of our pastors walks down right to this spot and leads our church to confess our sins before God. Why? Because we're all in this together. 
I as a pastor, Pete as a pastor, we are no different. You see, we are prone to wander too. And so we come down with you to confess our sins with you because we all, every single person here, has sins to confess. Every one of us has wandered. Every one of us has strayed. This week, even this morning. And so together as a church, we corporately confess our sins. We recognize that all of us have a common need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. That God so loved you that even when you were wandering in your sin, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only son, to die for you and to rise again. That you could now be his sons and daughters. And that you, even though you're wandering, would be welcomed home. We confess our sins together because we together need to be reminded that all of us are sinners and all of us need a savior. And every single week as a church, we come together and we cling to the only hope that we have. So this morning I ask you, are you a wanderer? Have you wandered away from the truth in your sin? If that is true, then you are welcome here because you are among a bunch of wanderers just like you who are clinging to the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, the gospel invites us to confess our sin. Secondly, though, the gospel leads us to repentance. I want you to look with me at verse 19. Verse 19, James says, My brothers, if any of you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, The gospel leads us to repentance. The word repentance literally means to turn. In other words, repentance is all about turning. Turning from our sin and turning towards God. And if you look at what James says, it's a very physical picture of this. He's using very physical language and image. That in our sin, we are literally wandering away from God. Alone in our sin. And he is calling us to turn back, to turn around, leave our wandering and return to the Lord. And so there's a couple things I want you to notice this morning about this verse. The first is that James says, my brothers, my brothers. And he's used this phrase over and over and over again in the book of James. My brothers and sisters. In other words, he's saying, I'm addressing you, Christians. I'm addressing you, church. And that's important for us this morning because he's not talking to these wanderers who are outsiders, these non-Christian pagans. No, he's talking to these wanderers who are Christians. He's saying, hey, my brothers and sisters, if any of you wander from the truth and someone brings him back, Christians, we are prone to wander too. The second is this. It's this physical language describing sin and repentance. Literally, in the Greek, James says, if anyone among you wanders away and someone turns them around, this is the essence of what repentance really is. It's turning from our sin and turning towards the gospel. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. Do you know what the first one was? Luther said, 
When our Lord Master Jesus Christ called us to repent, he meant that the entire Christian life should be one of continual repentance. It's the first. You could argue perhaps the most important to Luther. That the entire Christian life, every aspect of it, should be a constant and continual turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. It's not enough that we would just confess our sins and say, here they are. But the gospel also leads us away from our sin and towards the gospel of grace. And this really was the message of Jesus. Over and over and over again in the gospels, he preached a message of repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled, he says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And so we are called not just to say and to acknowledge, yes, we're sinners, but the gospel is producing a good work within our hearts and souls that we would turn away from our sin and turn towards the gospel of grace. And I think this is one of the most misunderstood aspects of grace. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in The Cost of Discipleship, so often we preach a gospel without repentance. We cheapen grace. Grace does not give us a license to sin. Grace calls us to turn towards the gospel. The Apostle Paul asked a question this way, Romans 2. He says, do you presume on the riches and kindness and the forbearance and patience of God, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, it's the kindness and grace of God does not tell us to just keep on sinning because you're going to be forgiven anyways. But no, his kindness and grace is calling all of us wanderers to come home, to come home to the grace and mercy of our God and our Savior. Third, the gospel promises restoration. Look with me, verse 20. James says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The goal of repentance is not to just stop sinning. That's just moralism. And frankly, it doesn't work. The goal of repentance is to be completely restored as sons and daughters of God. In fact, the goal of repentance ultimately is not really about our sin at all. It's about Jesus. It's about not just turning from our sin, but turning towards the cross. And so James says that the person who returns from their wandering, that their soul would be saved from death. That a multitude of their sins will be covered. In other words, that they will be fully restored. That is good news for us this morning. That you, when you return to the grace and the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be fully restored. Now, he talks about this restoration in two ways. First, that your soul will be saved from death. I think he wants us to understand that our sin is serious. That there is a lot at stake in our sin. After all, it was actually our sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. If your sin is not serious, then Jesus did not have to die. 
But no, your sin is serious, serious to the point of death. Why? Because every single sin that we commit is rebellion, it is treason. That is why you can never do enough good deeds if you reject the cross of Christ, if you reject God himself, because ultimately you're a traitor. But if you come back to God, if you return to him, James says, your soul will be saved even from death. But second, he says that a multitude, in other words, every single one, every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you are now entangled in and every sin that you will commit, has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so though the wages of our sinful rebellion is death, the gospel of grace says this, Jesus died for you, he rose for you. So all you wanderers, come home. Come home. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. And then listen to what he says. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. So what does this restoration look like? Thomas Chalmers called it the expulsive power of a new affection. In other words, that you would be so overwhelmed with the love and grace of Jesus that there would be no longer any even room in your heart for sin. That the only way to truly conquer our sin is not to just stop sinning, but again to turn, to return to the love of Jesus Christ, to know how much he loves you and what it means to claim the truth of the gospel. Some of you have heard me use this illustration before. It's a good one, especially with... uh, young kids, but I think it's good for us as well. Uh, We're all really kids when you think about it. I want you to think about the color purple. All right, everybody thinking about purple? All right, don't think about purple. What are you thinking about? Purple. It's hard, isn't it? Think about green. Now, what are you not thinking about? Purple. Honestly, I think this is the way we treat sin so often in our Christian culture. We're just sitting around just trying not to think about purple, right? We're we're just don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And we don't recognize that while you're still just wandering around trying not to sin, you're still wandering. You're still alone. You're still cut off. The goal of repentance is restoration. It's not just to stop sinning, but it's to literally turn and return to the sovereign grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. It's only when you are so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that sin is no longer anything to us anymore. It no longer holds a sway. It doesn't have a desire in our hearts because we are so filled with a desire and love for Jesus Christ. And so what does it look like to be restored? I think Jesus gives us a picture in the Gospels. The return of the prodigal. The prodigal realized what he had done. He came to his father and he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And there he is coming back and his father is running towards him with open arms. And they have a celebration because his son had come home. The gospel promises restoration. 
full restoration as sons and daughters. And lastly, as we end this morning and end our series in the book of James, the gospel calls us to community. You may have missed with each one of these verses something that's very critical to, I believe, what James is trying to teach us. Confession, repentance, and restoration, none of these can happen apart from community. I want you to look with me again at verse 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins, what? To one another and pray for one another. Verse 19, he says, if anyone wanders from the truth, and then he says, if someone else brings them back. And again in verse 20, he says, whoever brings back a sinner. In other words, with each one of these things, the people of God, his community is at work. Now, I recognize that when I use the word community, it's a buzzword, and there's about 50,000 different definitions of what you might think community is. But this morning, let me say this. At our church, at PCPC, we talk about worship, we talk about community, we talk about extending the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we encourage our church members, our people, to be in community. And so often what we hear is this. I have community. I grew up here. I have tons of friends. I have my college buddies, my roommates. I already have community. But I want you to know that that could not be further from the truth. Back in 2006, Duke University did a follow-up study. 20 years later. And what they found is that most people in America only have one to two people that they can actually confide in and tell the truth and be honest with. And that really about a quarter of all Americans quarter of all Americans have no one. While they know a lot of people, nobody really knows them. They don't really have community. This morning, I want you to know the kind of community that James is talking about is the kind of community that can only exist when you have been set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kind of community that we know one another so well that the idea of confessing our sins to one another isn't a frightening thing, but it's a welcome thing because we recognize that we need to remind each other of the gospel. The kind of community that we repent from our sins together, that we don't just settle to go on sinning, but we repent together. We push each other towards the gospel. We push each other towards the cross. It's the kind of community where the wanderer could be restored. That is the kind of community that James is calling us to this morning, that we know one another, that it's not too late. It's not too late when sin is found out, that we know one another, that we can see each other and recognize when someone says, hey, I'm just doing just fine, that we'll ask again, we'll say, really, how are you doing? That we know each other so well that confession and repentance and restoration thrives here in a church like ours. And so this morning, James is calling you, he's calling me, calling all of us wanderers to return. To return from wandering in our sin, from wandering in our rebellion, and return to the gospel, to return to the grace of Jesus Christ, to return to the cross, and to know this, that your sins have been paid for that he died and he rose again, that you could now freely confess your sins and be forgiven. 
that you now have the power to repent from your sin and walk in newness of life. And that you now, though you were wandering as orphans cut off, can now return as sons and daughters of the living God. And so as we pray and as we sing one more hymn, I want to read the words of this invitation. An invitation to you if today is your very first Sunday with us. An invitation to you if you've been here your whole life. It's printed in the words of our bulletin every single week at the very top of the page. To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who struggle and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who are strangers and want fellowship. To all who hunger and thirst after righteousness. To all who will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we have that welcome before you. That because of the death and resurrection of your son, though we have strayed, though we have wandered in our sin, you have invited us, you have welcomed us back as your very own sons and daughters. And so, Father, as we end this great book, the book of James, we pray that we would do just that, that we would confess our sin, that we would repent from our sin and towards you, and that this morning, that you would restore us by the power of the death and resurrection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we now sing and celebrate this great restoration that we have in you. It's in the strong and powerful name of Christ we pray. Amen.